I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Today, we're talking about the four keys to empowering our families with guest Jeff Martin. A comment I hear from a lot of parents is, if I could just get my kids to do the things that I tell them to, things would be so different. I get it. I've been there. I've felt that way. And it can be so frustrating. There are definitely things that we can implement as parents that would help us out with this, such as giving clearer instructions, providing patient reminders, and following through on consequences, not after the third or fourth time we speak, but the first. These strategies are great, but what if there was more to it than just brushing up on basic parenting skills? What if we could get our kids to be excited about why we are doing what we're doing? What if we could lead our families like good leaders lead movements that last beyond their involvement? Guest Jeff Martin is here with us today to share with us how the four principles that can help unlock a volunteer-led movement can motivate our kids to buy into our family's mission and be an integral part of building our best family. I love this because I don't want to be a parent who leads while my family members begrudgingly follow. I want my kids to be excited about who we are and who we are becoming together. And then I want them to take ownership of it and run with it. After you listen, I encourage you to choose one activity, task, or area that you can hand off to your kids or have them be a bigger part of. And then let's talk more about it and the risks that we are willing to take to see growth in our family on Instagram and in the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. Are you struggling to keep track of everything that's going on in your family? I get it. Managing everyone's expectations and schedules can be challenging. However, a regular family meeting can change that. These weekly check-ins enable you to approach each week with purpose and more connected to one another. If you need help getting started, download our free family meeting packet, which includes sample agendas and discussion topics. Go to www.buildyourbestfamily.com to get your copy today. Today, I'm talking with Jeff Martin. Jeff is the FCA Executive Director of Strategic Partnerships and founder of Fields of Faith. Jeff received his Master of Divinity degree from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He lives in Kansas City, Missouri with his wife, Julie, and has three grown children, AJ, Ashley, and Alexis. Welcome, Jeff. It's so incredible to have you on the podcast today. It's good to be here. A question that I ask all of our guests, and I'm going to ask you, is what is your family known for? What is it? You know, know, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I have to differentiate. What is it? You you can answer that going, this is what I would like for us to be known (laughs) for, right? I mean, that's that's one thing. But yeah, I think think that we would be known as that we're fun. A lot of people say, all of you have blue eyes. I know that much, that we all have these <laughs> bright blue eyes. But uh, I think we're spontaneous. We're fun. Um, we're known that that we fear God. That's mm-hmm. that's something else that I think all, as we've raised our family, that we do a lot of things together, that our family's first. I do know that for a fact, cause I, you know, as far as listening, what other people say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would say, I would say that. And, and lastly, 
you know, I work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, have worked with them over 27 years. And so my children have been raised in a ministry family, in a sports ministry family. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of people go, oh, you're the FCA family, because we, we did everything together. Like mm-hmm. we would, it, it wasn't separate, you know, I would... Yeah. I would take my kids with me when I went to visit schools and coaches whenever they were in diapers and, you know, just tried to try, you know, tried to have them as part of everything we did. So those are some of the, some of the descriptors I would say that other people have said about our mm-hmm. family, what we're known for. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of taking the kids along in the journey. That's how they learn. That's how they grow. That's how they form their identity. That's fantastic. All right, so you're here today to talk to us about your book, Empower. So some of the principles that you write about in your book came out of an event that you founded called Fields of Faith. Can you tell us more about that event? Yeah, so Fields of Faith is is an event that we started in 2004. I was an area area representative in Southwest Oklahoma in in just sort of the prairies out there. Mm -hmm. And and, and so I've done a lot of events, camps, ministry events at, at churches, et cetera. And what, you know, I'd been in ministry, I'd gotten out of seminary, I'd been in ministry at a large church, and then I'd, I'd started an office of FCA and had been doing that about 10 years uh, mm-hmm. after, after seminary. So about 20 years, I'd been, my wife and I'd been in ministry. And a lot of that had been at the schools, the campuses, and and with students. Mm-hmm. And so we, I mean, we did it. We we basically tried everything. We 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 were in small groups, individual one on ones. We did camps. We did retreats. We did like, and it was so exciting, you know, being being a part on the front lines of ministry, especially with students. And one morning, I was on the back porch, and I was having my quiet time, and it. it I was really frustrated. You know, a lot of innovation comes out of frustration, yep. right? Yes. So I was really frustrated and I was frustrated as a parent. And the reason I was frustrated is that my son was getting ready to start junior high. And then my daughters a couple of years back, back behind there are were, were headed that way. And, mm-hmm. and I thought for, for 20 years, I've been working on helping change the culture, bring Christ to the culture, to, to the schools and, and, you know, that type of thing. And it just hit me. I was, I'm like, you know, it's worse now than when I started, you know, Mm. the culture is worse. And, and then when your kids are walking into that and you know, you're going to be letting them loose into that, I I was just frustrated. And so that day I read my, my Bible study was in second Chronicles chapter 34. And I don't know about you, but if you're looking to be fired up, I don't normally go to Chronicles, you know, like (laughs) I need a, I need a boost. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's why I went, all right, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it was a story about Josiah and, and Josiah was a young King that had grown up in a godless culture, Judea or Judah. And it, it, it had been, it become godless because of his father and his father that were the kings. And they literally, you know, there were, God wasn't there. And I was like, you know what? That's where we're headed as a country. <laughs> it just sort of got my attention, right? And he started doing some things and taking some steps. And he cleaned out the temple. You know, he didn't even really know what to do. He had no, there, there were no scriptures. They had lost all scriptures. And so he cleaned out the temple. And as he was doing that, he found the he found the scriptures and he read them. And he goes, "Oh my goodness, this is where we should be." So he got everyone together in one place, 
he read, he, he read at that time was the Pentateuch, read it to them out loud and said, this is where I'm going to stand. And as long as I'm king, I want to challenge you to follow the mm. book of the law. And what and it said, so I'm sitting there reading that going, hmm. And what happened was it said as long as he lived, that his country fought, you know, they, they, they followed the scripture and it turned the tide. And I'm sitting there yeah. going, what was it that turned the tide? And it was a scripture. And I said, what if we got everyone together in one place and we had young students because this was, this was a young leader. It wasn't a priest. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, an older, a professional, an expert. It was just someone yeah. who said, and we just let them speak to their peers about how the word of God had, had changed them and mm-hmm. how it was guiding them. And that was the impetus of where Fields of Faith started. So I started, Kimberly, I started going to different leaders and and business people and, and ministry leaders and I said, what if we do this? We, we met at a stadium. That's one of the only places left that gathers a community mm-hmm. of all backgrounds. They gather around one common cause. You can't really find a place like that anymore. Yeah. What if we gathered there as comfortable and then we gave the mic to students? We, we empowered the students. Mm. And the resounding result, feedback was it'll never work. Oh, and, wow. Uh, they, they said, you got to have a hook. You got to have an expert. You got to have you know, uh, you've got to have someone that keeps their attention. That was the prevailing thought of the time. Mm. And so we had, to, you know, and, and, and they'll never come. Well, guess what? We went ahead and did it. I just felt called by the Lord to go ahead and yeah. try and run the play. And what happened was amazing. And when those students got up, everyone, I mean, they listened to each other because they could identify. Yes. With They're going, yeah. I identify with you. And, and so that, you know, the prevailing thought was they're not going to list each other. They're, they're going to get all antsy. Students don't even know how to talk. They're, you know, they're going to chase rabbits and all that. And we went, all right, we're going to take the risk. And we put it out there and, and we just had, you know, at the end of it, I got up, I said, you heard what they said, here's how you can respond. And they literally in that stadium, they came over the rails and I heard that Mm. all over the place. And so that started in 2004. And since then, it's still going. Over 2 million people have been involved mm-hmm. in, in campuses all across the country during that time. And, you know, normally it's, it's between 200 and 250,000 people gather every year. And mm-hmm. it, all, it all went back to that frustration as a parent. Yeah. Is where it came from. So that's just a quick synopsis. I could talk forever on that. Yeah. But that's what Fields of Faith is. And out of that event and my experience dealing with thousands of volunteers over the year is where these four key principles, I looked at it and I just went, why is this thing still going? What is at the heart of it? Like, yeah. we, just, we just keep doing it. And these four principles bubbled up. I just worked on this for a long time to get, figure out what is it that we could do <clears throat> that could be replicated in other organizations mm-hmm. or in families or, you know, in, in whatever way, because that movement is, is going on, but there's a lot of movements, small mm-hmm. and large that could happen. Potentially some of these principles could help. Yeah. So my kids youth program, when they were meeting, we're not meeting right now, would do once mm-hmm. a month or once every other month would do a student takeover and they would pick mm-hmm. some of the students and they would have them get up and speak. And my son did one of the talks and it's just still something that people talk about. The fact mm-hmm. that these students are getting up and sharing their stories and and you're right, it's so much that other students, their ears are open because it's their peers that are talking to them. And yes, they can respect leadership and yes, they can listen, hear mm-hmm. from an expert, but there's something about buy-in from your peers versus buy-in from the leadership. 
right? Right. Like and both are happened. necessary. Both yes. are necessary, right? I yes. mean, you don't you don't take one over the other, but this opportunity, exactly what you just said, that yeah. buy-in is critical. Yeah. All right. So your your book is centered on these four principles that you say unlock a volunteer-led movement. So I would love mm. for you to share those principles with us and you know how we can apply these to our family to motivate them and empower them. Right. Yeah. It, and and it's it's fascinating because what what I was dealing with was how do you get volunteers, you know, beyond just managing volunteers, but actually mm-hmm. moving them so that they move others. That's the whole heart of empowerment. Yeah. And if you think about it as a parent, if you have children, they're really sort of volunteers. I mean, you can especially as they get older and then you're parenting adult children. Yeah. You, you don't necessarily manage or control that anymore. So as mm-hmm. they grow, there's this there's this growth and there's this tension of them doing that. And so they're sort of in a way a volunteer, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they don't, the older they get and they get outside of, of, you know, outside of the house and stuff, they're making their own decisions. And so you, how do you, so there's a lot of principles that, 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 that apply to families. And so I will, mm-hmm. so the principles are this, the first one is value. Mm-hmm. The first thing is, is, is value. The second one is simplicity. The third one is commonality mm-hmm. and the fourth one is ownership. And, and I would say this isn't a process necessarily. Uh, I think it's more like spice, different yeah. spices you can throw in. Maybe one is all you need, et cetera, but that's how it works. And so the first, I'll probably just focus on two okay. as of the time here, but value is the first one. And I think, you know, one of the things, if, for instance, with Fields of Faith and in other things that I've done with, with, with volunteer leaders, many times what we do is we'll, we'll try and, and involve volunteers in what we're doing. In other words, we want to roll them up and do what the organization wants. Or as parents, we want to roll our kids up. That's, you know, roll them up mm-hmm. in here and we prescribe to them, we want you to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that that needs to be done, right? That's yeah. that's important. But but what happens is, you know, it, it, I, I put it this way, inst- we like to to prescribe a pill. In other words, we, we want you to, we'll say, take this pill. And in reality, mm-hmm. there's opportunities where they can help make the pill, mm-hmm. right? So, as parents, we're always prescribing and things like that. And what happens is we, we end up just telling our kids, want you to do this, want you to do this, want you to do this. Again, is important. But value comes whenever you start saying, hey, what do you think about this? You start including them. Yeah. Uh, you start, you know, and it's just elevating, you know, what they do. And, and I think that one of the, the biggest challenges is this, uh, that we don't, you don't value what you don't trust. Mm-hmm. So what we found is with those students, when we gave them the mic, here, here's what we found. We had to take a risk. We had to take a risk. And the, the entire, basically the society was saying, don't take that risk. And, and what you're telling them is we don't trust you to be able to communicate what's going on with you from the scripture with God. We don't mm-hmm. trust you. We, you sit back there. You're the spectator. Mm-hmm. We will, you're, you're the consumer. We're the producer. In reality, everyone's a producer, right? And so to be able to tap into that as, as you can is important. So I would say this, there's, there's two issues. One is overvaluing, right? And yeah. as parents, we can overvalue our children. That's where you get the term helicopter parent. That's where you get yep. the term lawnmower parent. In, in other words, we're going to overvalue you and we're going to try and eliminate all risk 
and and we're and we're gonna take care of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So in reality, that's not value. That no. you're you're not trusting them. You're not trusting them to walk through adversity. You're not trust. You're not giving them the mic. You're not saying, "Hey, you may or may not. You may fail. You may do." But when you do that, you're saying, "I trust you, and I'm I'm going to walk with you through this." Yeah. I'm not going to try and walk in front of you. And that gives them this strength to know that my parents trust me. Yeah. And so I think there's there's an opportunity to where we we can, not an opportunity, this challenge of overvaluing. That's one thing. And then the second would be that we undervalue, mm-hmm. that we undervalue. And and I, I think that's that's really big out there. One example of that with with teams, we, we have we have this way to reach, you know, the emotions and, and the identity with, with athletes. You said your, your kids are athletes, mm-hmm. you're involved, they're mm-hmm. involved in sports. We, we have a thing called a spotlight drill. And this is an example of, of how, how our, our children have been undervalued. And I think it's very prevalent. So the spotlight drill is this at the end of practice, everyone gets together and, and, what we'll do is we'll tell the athletes, all right, we're going to, we're going to put one person, one of your teammates, they're going to stand up and then we're going to challenge them. Everyone needs to say something positive about your teammate and it can't be anything about their performance. It's good. Nothing. And, and so they'll do that. And you'll see over and over that these athletes will start to cry. I've seen coaches cry. We'll do this with coaches with each other. And, mm-hmm. and these hardened coaches will start just bawling because no one does that. Yeah, It's so foreign to them. And so what they're doing is speaking value into their hearts, a spotlight mm-hmm. about who you are, not what you've done. And so I think with parents, when it comes to value, this is just one one thing that we see is if, if you can walk that edge of not overvaluing mm-hmm. or undervaluing and be intentional about that, you un, you unlock the heart to where mm-hmm. there's movement yeah. with your children. Yeah. So I'm going to give you one example. I was, I was a couple of things yeah. came to mind as you were talking about this, but when my kids were really young, when they were, I think my youngest was probably six so six, eight and 10. I decided my kids were going to start cooking. Right. And I said, you guys are going to have to pick one meal a week and you have to cook. And so the risk you're talking about risk, the risk was burning the house down. That, yes. The burning the house down, <laughs> getting burnt. Yes, various things, but that I was going to have, you know, pasta for dinner every night or mac and cheese or scrambled eggs every night. And I was like, oh, do we really want to do this? And I was like, nope, we're going to do this. We're going to teach them. And not only did they step up to the plate and that this is for us as a family, it's when they really, the the switch flipped for them and their interest in food increased, but they valued my cooking all of a sudden. They started to compliment each other and be like, this is the best bacon I've ever had. And I'm like, I got bacon every weekend. What are you talking about? <laughs> or like, this is so good. Or they started to try things that their siblings cooked that they would have never mm-hmm. tried when I cooked. And all of a sudden it shifted. Mm. They began to appreciate the food that was being made because I'd given them the responsibility to make it. And so, and so we saw that shift happen and it was amazing because, you know, most people I talked to, they're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't want to teach my kid how to use a knife. They're too young. I don't, uh, you know, so I'm laying in bed mm-hmm. one day and I hear the click, click, click of the gas stove. And I'm like, I look at my husband and we're like, wait, don't go anywhere. And then we like started to smell bacon and we were like, oh oh my gosh, they're making breakfast. And we had to stop ourselves from running downstairs to see what was going on. And our son who was six had made breakfast. So like 
that risk and them just just grasping on to their ability to do it and then appreciating the act of mm-hmm. it now. I mean, they don't take for granted like who's cooking and what are we cooking and are we going to eat and wow. and it just changed their perspective. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that value principle I've seen work very very young with children. It, it, well, it's a perfect example and you just I don't have to go into the last point. You just jumped to what ownership looks like. Oh. <laughs> they own it, right? Yeah. That yeah. When you when you set these things in place and they, they own it. They know you mm-hmm. trust them. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's simple. I, yeah. I'm going to make some breakfast and then they own it. And now you you have this movement as opposed to I'm going to prescribe to you the breakfast. You need to sit in here. Here's mm-hmm. here's your meal. Like you're doing everything for them. Yeah. And, and so just that activity alone, mm-hmm. you, you saw movement, right? Yeah. And, and those are some sure. of the principles. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And I think the second one uh, that I think is that I can sort of put a light on is simplicity. Mm-hmm. And and what that means is is that I, I think you could agree that this world is full of complexity. I mean, it's crazy, right? Everything um, that's out there and this idea of simplicity is out there. And and one of the ways that I talk about this in my book is that, you know, I, and I go back as a parent, I, I one of the things that frustrated me is that I felt like, you know, it was up to the parent to to watch, make sure that the kids weren't watching this or they weren't listening to this or they didn't do this. And there's, it was like this onslaught on this, this culture that has access to our kids. And we were always trying to, you know, defend against everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, as an, as an athlete, you know, I've coached before, here's a rule. If you're always on defense, you probably are not going to win. Mm-hmm. And and I felt like that as a parent, it's like defense, defense, defense. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, what are we... When can we go on offense? And, you know, the, the, the scripture talks about the word of God in the armor of God, that, that the word of God is, is it's the sword of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And the sword and the armor of God is the only offensive weapon. It's it. And so the ability to go on offense rests squarely in our ability to understand the word of God and, and to be in that, in, in that type of deal. And, I, and that's why I was like, we have a chance to go on offense. And so hmm. at, at every fields of faith, that's all, that's what we said. We're going to challenge, we're going to have st- leadership, you know, like student leaders challenge their peers to read the word of God and accept Christ. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah. And to read the word of God, because we know our, our thought was if we can get them in the word of God, now you start swinging that sword hmm. and you go on offense into the culture. And, and it, it was, it, it was just, it, it was fascinating that, you know, I started asking around churches. I started asking students. I started, you know, I spoke at camps and I would ask them, how many of you are spending time in the word of God each day? And very few hands would go up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we have a spectator generation. They're, they're yeah. coming and they're listening. And so I, I, and I'll share this example on this. I, my, my brother-in-law is, uh, he retired as a colonel in the military, but it, during that time, he was in Afghanistan. He was in Iraq, and he came back on on leave during you know on on leave during the wars. And we went to Six Flags, right? And we were standing in line for a ride, you know, baking in the hot sun. And and I asked him, I I said I said, hey, when you go up to 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 a, a city or a village or something, how do you guys take that over? Because I was always interested because I thought ministry and military is very similar. There's a mm-hmm. lot of examples of that in scripture. Yeah. So I go, how, how do you guys do that? And he laughed. He goes, well, it's, and, and you know, he goes, 
it's pretty complicated, but I'll, I'll simplify it. He goes, you identify the center of gravity. He goes, mm. that could be a person. It could be a political party. It could be the will of the people, whatever it is. And he said, and then you disrupt or you cut off communication from the people with the center of gravity. Wow. And then you invade. And I go, okay. I go, let's, so let's, he, he's a believer. I said, so how does that apply to us as Christians? And he goes, I said, who's the center of gravity? And he thought for a little bit and he goes, it's Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians says that he's the center mm -hmm. of all things. He is Jesus Christ. I go, well, then from a military mind, how would you cut off communication to our center of gravity? And he thought, he goes, well, I wouldn't really, I said, if you had one thing, what would it be? He goes, I wouldn't mm -hmm. cut off church because that's just, you know, hour, two hours a week. Wouldn't cut any thinking. I wouldn't, you know, books. And he said, he goes, I would stop people from reading the word of God because they have access, direct access to, to, to God at mm -hmm. any time, I would keep them from praying and reading the word of God. That's what I would do. And then mm -hmm. I, and then I go, and then what? And he goes, I'd invade. Well, the hair on the back of my neck stuck, stood up because I was sitting there. Mm -hmm. I'd gone out, I'd talked to students and I was like, what's the difference in a country that has no scriptures, not reading the word of God, Josiah, second mm -hmm. Chronicles, mm -hmm. and a country that has all types of scriptures and is not reading the word of God. Mm -hmm. what's the, the end result is the same. Yeah. And so that was the deal. So what happened, Kimberly, is that that drove me towards this, this idea that if we, if we want to make any difference, we have got to be connected to our center of gravity, which is mm -hmm. through the word of God. Mm -hmm. And it became very simple about what we were doing with this movement with volunteers is that we were going to, raise raise this up to read the word of god and i would say in in families and i'd love to know a little bit about what you think about this you can overthink there's so much complexity but drive to the simple is to is, is to read the word they have your children start mm -hmm. reading the word of god value it and and model that and so that's that's what you know that that was those are just two things that we could apply immediately mm -hmm. in our family yeah. that i think can create movement within the families mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking like, as you're talking about all the applications of that, even with what we're experiencing right now, like when we're cut off from community, it makes us very susceptible to outside influences and things that we never would have entertained before, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, things that aren't good choices for our lives or good choices for our family, or just mm -hmm. the introduction of different types of lifestyle to cope you know, as mm -hmm. we've, we've kind of been isolated in so many ways and yeah, re-identifying, yeah, within our family, within our community, but spiritually, I think it's so important to understand that concept. That's so yeah. And, it's, and that's the thing is, is there's so many, there's so many voices out there. Hey, you got to do this. You got to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I feel sorry, you know, some of my coworkers younger, they, they had a, a child and they're trying to figure out which you know, what, what the, what is it? The stroller, what yes. type of stroller to get? I was like, man, when we were doing that, it was just like, you had three to choose from That's and one color, you know, that type yeah. of deal. And they had this whole deal. So there's so much complexity. complexity. And what happens is when you drive to simplicity, that's what creates movement because I, I, it's sort of like a cat in a room with a, and, and you have a laser pointer and you're just moving that all around and yeah. they're like this, they don't know where to go. But if you can hold that laser pointer and you sit there and, and they can focus on that, then you can create movement. And, and there's a great African proverb that says it's, it's better. It, it, it's, it's better to teach. No. Yeah. It's better to teach a hundred people one thing instead of 
a hundred things to one person. So Mm -hmm. it's this idea, if you simplify it, Mm -hmm. it creates movement out there. Mm -hmm. And so I think the opportunity to simply in families is the simple, is the idea of the center of gravity. What is that? Yeah. It's Jesus and push, push towards that. Yeah. What's the best way to communicate? It's not the only way. What's the best the word of God. So we're going, we're going to commit to that and we're going to model that and we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've done, so when I work with people, I help them identify their five values that they have for their family. Then we take those values and turn them into practices. But what we've also done is try to distill all of that down into one word. And so Mm. I got, Mm -hmm. I heard a message about picking one word that you want people to feel when they leave your presence. And so we chose a one word for our family because at the end of the day, my kids, yes, I'm going to hopefully they'll memorize our five values, but what is that one thing? that we want them mm-hmm. to that people to feel when they leave our house. And then all you have to do is go back and say, are we creating that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's easier for them to hold on to that than it is for them to hold on to a list of rules and regulations and things that we've created in our home to bring, you know, you know, some, not order, <laughs> making the yeah. opposite of chaos order, yeah. but really distilling it down to like something that they can remember. Mm-hmm. I even heard Craig Groeschel say, if it's not tweetable, you're going to forget it, you know, mm-hmm. like distill it down to something that's remember that you can remember or simplify it. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that what's great about that is that you're being intentional of driving towards that. And again, I'm not talking about simplistic, like dumb. We're right. talking about, again, creating movement. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people get excited about things, but there's no clear, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And it dissipates like, yeah. so excitement isn't necessarily a movement. It's just temporary excitement. Yeah. So the ability to go, this is this is the main thing. Mm-hmm. Really, just push back the fog of complexity yeah. and allow you to really focus on. It. I think the one word and 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 sort of narrowing that down, it mm-hmm. helps your family your family tremendously in yeah. the ability to be simple about what we're trying to achieve. You know, as 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 a unit. All right, so it sounds like I'm on the right track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. All right, so you've shared a lot so far, but anything else you want to leave us today? Something what like for our listeners that do feel a little bit overwhelmed, something that they could do today to shift the atmosphere on their, in their home towards movement, besides some of the things, anything else you want to share with us? Yeah, I think I, I, I really come back to the, this principle of, of simplicity. And again, the other, the, the other two are commonality mm-hmm. and ownership. Ownership is a result of when you do these, and you'll see mm-hmm. that you're not having to beg or, or, or shame or threaten. I mean, people, mm-hmm. when people own it, you're, that's when movement really takes off, right? But there's some things you have to put in place, you know, value yeah. and keep things simple, commonality. We talk about that, you know, the idea is not not coming up with common goals, but look at what is a, one way to look at it is what's a common enemy. In other words, what are we going to bring mm. down? A lot of people, like that. they don't, they don't want to, a lot of people, a lot of times we're just prescribing things. People don't, especially volunteers, they don't want to take in something they want to take on something. Mm-hmm. They want to be part of this yes. cause. They want to be part of something bigger than, and so our ability to go, okay, what is it we're bringing down? That's just one way to look at it. You still need goals. You yep. still need, you You have to have those. But again, it's like a diamond sort of turn that and go, what, what yes. is it we're trying to bring down, you know? And uh, so that's uh, again, so another snapshot yeah. there of what that means. We talk about that in the book, but mm-hmm. I, I think can't believe this, the one thing I would think for, for parents is this idea of, of uh, a focus on the word of God. Mm-hmm. I, I would leave, if that was one thing, 
because that's something that goes beyond you. It connects them to the center of gravity. It'll give them truth in this Mm -hmm. world that is swirling with untruth. Mm -hmm. And it lives beyond, you, you know, it's not dependent upon you know, any experts or, you know, those adult stuff. So that's, I think that would be the main thing I'd say it over and over again is go on offense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was great. This, I, I totally enjoyed it and loved your insights. And thanks for the questions on, on, you know, what, how, what my, how is my family known? I've never been asked that. So that was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> great. You can find Jeff at EmpowerYourVolunteers.com. I'll link to that and his book in the show notes. If you want to dig deeper into what we talk about on the podcast each week, check out the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. It's where we hang out with some fabulous women and we practice what we've learned. There's also encouragement, group coaching, and incredible resources there too. Remember, family culture is not about perfect. It's about purpose.